Hello and welcome to this very tired episode of a poorly informed podcast. I am your host today, Peter, and with me are my talented and intelligent, talented and intelligent co-hosts. You say, Will and Theo. Um, Max is also here. (laughs) (laughs) Today we are doing sort of a, a theoretical thought exercise. We're talking about our ideal forms of government. So in a perfect world. Slightly unrealistic, potentially very unrealistic. What political system would you like to live in? What political system would you like to grow up in, raise family in, work with, like within? And why would you promote this? Why is this better than everyone else's? So we all have one. We all have an idea. Uh, we all have different ideas. I hope we all have stupid ideas potentially, except mine, which is good. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So. Does anyone want to go first? Does anyone suggest an idea of that perfect political system? Well volunteered, Max. Right, yeah, I'm going to go mine first. It's where you can get destroyed. Mine is a very authoritarian government where they tell you what to do and no one makes any life decisions at all. So, before Will, he opens his mouth there, stop. Uh, in This is in the future. There's super smart AI, right? AI, genius, does everything right. That is in charge of the country. And it tells people, you do this, you're going to go into this job, and you're going to get trained in this, and you're going to do this, basically. Is there free will in this? Uh, I mean, there is, but you have to do what the robot overlord tells you. Or Does that factor in things like, it tells you to go to the gym, and it tells you to go home and watch a film, or is it just telling you to work 15 hours a day? Yeah. Is it uh, micromanaging you? It's heavy micromanagement but there would be some element of free will <laughs> heavy micromanagement heavy micromanagement but what if you went to the gym and didn't work out no that's right basically no, no. so it would be like oh okay you've got to work in this field you've not that any of us these... do that ever yeah you've got to train in these skills you'll have okay you'll have like I don't know, an hour or a week free time or something I don't know how an it works an hour a week I'm not a super smart robot AI okay but there will be some element of free will. However, overall, the important life decisions, like what A-levels you take, what university you go to, the important decisions are all done by something above you, rather than free will. What happens if you don't listen to the robot? Then you get arrested and sent to prison as a dissenter. Okay, and then what happens... Does the robot, like, choose who you fall in love with? Because point. this is terrifying to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a nice... But the robot, smart, the robot it is like... No, I'm not Tinder. Uh, what's the dating website? Match. Like, you know where they have all these algorithms that match you to someone else? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of them. Because that's always so successful. Yeah, but this is the future. It's super smart. It always gets it right. What, what I don't understand is, if we live in a future with a super smart AI, yep. why would any of us need to work? Because surely it could just create autonomous robots that do it for us, and then we can all just chill and relax and enjoy the endless resources that we get from our robots. Um, let's say there's a resource shortage. Let's say we cannot create super smart robots that do stuff. Okay, basically, we still need human labour, okay? So, you've got the, so basically, you're not questioning the all-powerful, all-smart AI. So, Mac, you're saying, so Mac, you're saying you've got computing AI, but not production AI. Yeah, like production sure. robots. Yeah, let's say that. And then what if the AI decided that by working everyone to death wasn't the best way of doing things naturally that if they all had a nice life they'd work harder would you would you obey that would that be something that is in this system depends what the robot wants the robot will do the best decision for the country and you just blindly follow whatever this robot told you 
I would. I don't like making decisions. That's true. I don't like making decisions. If it told you to murder your family, do you murder your family? Why would you need to murder your family, yeah. Will? Maybe you, you are, they weren't selling their house and your house was on the road. Why would the AI just kill them? Yeah. Because why it hasn't it, got any why AI would it, things. Why would it want a proven thug running around? You know what I mean? Why would it want someone who's capable but the, of murder But as you said, the AI loose? can't do is a mind. It, yeah, but it, it can, can tell the soldiers humans. to go and imprison the yeah, family it, and shoot them. Basically, but no, replace no, Theresa They don't have soldiers because yeah. soldiers are a waste of resources. They need to be building things. So, therefore, you are the clo- The most efficient way of doing it is you are the closest to your family at that moment. Therefore, you should kill them. So you're them. turning people capable into... like you're, you're turning normal people into people who can and will murder. Well, if they have to obey the robot orders, well, what happens if they don't pay the? What happens if they don't follow the robot orders? You're debating the semantics of this too. No, much, no, rather no, than no, how I would actually it, function as Well, what happens if they don't follow the robot orders? Then everyone around them in concentric circles is increasingly told to murder. <laughs> and what the if they the continue middle? not to follow the robot orders? You've got rebellion immediately. That's a massive flaw in the system. What if nobody listens to the robot? Well, the robot obviously has some like psychology coding. And it could build up trust over time. It builds though. up trust. Yeah, it doesn't tell you kill your brother it's it's like you know it'll be it also tell you you come up with the murder your family idea you did well yeah, exactly. i was throwing it out as a hypothetical it what was. if what if it did it's what if somehow some way that was the most intelligent thing to do um if they were turned out they were spies and you were the only one who could effectively deal with them for some reason then it would tell you to kill them but because it's smart enough it would know you you do it there you go. We are very tired. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just go to someone else's idea? <laughs> I, mean, I get the merit behind your idea. Yeah. Like, basically, the whole main thing is, none of this killing your family. Basically, important life decisions are made by a robot and someone above you, so people don't have to make their own independent decisions, which would lead to probably a generally, a better allocation of resources mm-hmm. in society, so more economic longevity not more economic growth and development in a country and I guess there wouldn't be weird political divides yeah. or like social divides because everyone no one votes or exactly has social issue stances because the robot chooses them exactly so it would be the perfect world but perfect world but no free will free will which what we could be or would it potentially be perfect? living in because it isn't free will one of the preconditions that people generally accept for perfection. But what if it was so smart it could somehow con any con everyone into thinking they have free will without actually having free will? And then you've just created a god. <laughs> well then situation. it depends what Well then what's your problem? <laughs> I don't actually have a problem with that. I'm surprised. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well it, then but then you're just debating the then elite. you're just debating deep philosophy such as whether we are in the matrix. And when you get to that level of thinking then this is pointless. Like maybe the robot has conned you, maybe it hasn't, but is that genuine? Is that whether that's a perfect society or not? Is yeah. I, although I don't think we are because societies—it's not going perfectly enough for us to be under the control of an all-powerful AI. And what if it was just also, a really crap AI? Also, and also, <laughs> what's the point of worrying about if we're in the Matrix? Like, you can either kill yourself or not kill yourself. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm. Okay, someone else's idea. Yeah, anyone else want to suggest one? Great hosting here. Max, do you want to nominate someone? I nominate Theo. My idea, and this is quite amusing because we were having a debate about it just now and no one knew this was my idea, is ethical capitalist democracy. And what? And you guys have given me quite a lot of good rebuttals and counterpoints that I can use now in defending ethical capitalist democracy. So this is effectively where you have a capitalist system like the one we currently have where people buy goods and sell goods um, and you are... People are or companies are driven by the need to make profit, uh, 
and the government intervened when necessary, so by imposing minimum wages and welfare payments so that people can, you know, their living standards um, are moderately okay. Ethical, and then you have democracy, so people vote, government is representative, um, accountable decision-making. Then ethical is where the government intervenes to a point where firms are driven to produce goods that serve an ethical and green purpose. So um, green energy, for instance, um, clean waste, uh, to innovate, to produce better ways of capturing carbon emissions, to produce... um, clothes efficiently without having to pay people in sweatshops um, so when you've got an economy that's free and flowing and capitalist but without all the horrible side conditions that come with it that sounds pretty socialist though yeah that's what i don't understand i mean i mean to what extent are you regulating are you very very heavy-handed in i think the it, i think it's more it, it's I, I'm not enough an economist to strike the balance, but it's some. It's more subtle than heavy-handedness. You effectively, you might the government might subsidise um, key components or key materials to innovate and to invest in clean energy, and maybe impose taxes on fossil fuels, so that companies are like, oh, okay, it's more profitable to invest in windmills and solar power and uh, tidal power. So it's not like the law is saying you must. It's, uh, so people still have freedom to buy and if they want to pay an extra tax to have dirty energy they can do that but obviously the incentive is to pay for clean energy Can there be any ethical consumption? That's a very leading question <laughs> Because I don't know if there can be I mean there probably can be but in almost everything you buy any benefits you get will probably be off- offset by the amount of harm it causes. So any plastic goods, right? Generally, you buy some plastic, anything with plastic in, and you created a net negative for the world. So what the government does is it imposes um, small taxes on plastic goods, as we've seen with plastic bags, a, a huge volume of them um, stop being bought in shops now, the tax has been imposed. You incentivize purchasing alternatives, paper, uh, alternatives for instance or metal alternatives um, or and again you can have consumer lobbying power such as now under consumer threat and consumer power McDonald's have or wanting to maintain a good reputation McDonald's have banned plastic straws and I thought oh no you only get one plastic straw uh, per person. Where I feel this leads for me would be very very clean looking companies on the PR side but the, th- the, the issue is you create a system where if you can find a way to I don't know maybe there's a loophole because the um, because the benefits of um, investing in green energy or whatever are so high, but the costs are also so high, if you can find a way, and maybe it's a loophole, maybe it's secret, because we know companies all the time do illegal things, right, yeah, yeah. And, we, and regulators only catch them years later and often don't do nearly enough, in my opinion, to stop this behaviour. What, what happens if a company suddenly finds a way, oh, by using oil maybe for this, actually by using this certain loophole, loophole in this law, suddenly we can make 10 times the profit and it, they don't care. They, under that system, will absolutely do that because it makes sense, because of profit. The fundamental incentives are still there and they are still going to be looking for every single little thing they can do to make more money, whether it's ethical well, yeah, or not. Yeah, no, I think that's a reasonable concern. And I think what that calls for is to beef up government regulation industries so you've got Ofwat, so um, Office for Management of the Water Industry or Regulating the Water Industry, um, the FCR, the Financial... So obviously Ofwat has recently been found to be 
in firm's interest. So you've got to give um, and not in the consumer interest, not in our interest. So you have to beef that up. You have to give it more power and you have to separate it from the water industry. You have to give the financial conduct regulators more power. You have to give the serious fraud office more power so that they can investigate. You have to fund media so that they can do what the government often can't do and expose a lot of what firms do. A huge amount of dirty corruption exposed by the media globally every year. And if you put money into these without directly intervening in the economy and maybe you know, damaging it too heavily through government in intervention, you are incentivizing companies at a more deep level to move to an ethical way of production. But how is this any more efficient than, say, just national, for instance, water companies? Why don't you just nationalise them? I think there's an inherent flaw with nationalisation in that profit incentive does not motivate civil servants. Like civil servants, they can do a terrible job of managing the firm and they still get paid. Like the CEO of uh, Network Rail can do a terrible job of managing Network Rail and he will probably be sacked. But the issue is here, when you create a profit incentive, the incentive is to make profit, not any form of public good. They're entirely unrelated. And trying to tie one to the other is such a complicated and difficult process. If you're just trying to aim for public good, why not just make that the goal? Because that no, is what you're trying no, to do, no, but through this like, no, no, second system... I'm not system. trying to make public good. No, public good is a very different thing. A public good is a good, if we can use the literal definition, a good that the market doesn't provide itself, like lighthouses or flood defences. Okay, we're not trying to provide a public good, we're trying to provide a more ethical um, market good, a good which is freely bought and sold in the market. Okay, profit incentive motivizes, motivate, take train companies, okay, heavily nationalised in the 70s and 80s, completely decrepit, I mean useless. So obviously we're too young to think about that, but we know that genuinely they has some of the poorest train networks in the world. Second, only to maybe... They were some of the worst train networks in the world, quite frankly. Okay, you had converted buses being used for the train. Today, they're not great, but they're also not as bad as them. Okay, because profit incentive means that they want efficiency. Can I just say, um, this has gotten very economic as opposed to uh, debating a system of government. So I'm going to, as not the host, I'm going to try to push people towards uh, the more government side. So you say it would be democratic, right? Yeah, yeah. What's, how long, how long, what's the longevity of it? Because if people, if this um, government is imposing lots of regulation, although it may lead to some profit, there's the people who are coal miners, for example, coal mining industry. No, I mean, there's not really one in this country anymore anyway. But those people are not going to vote for a government who are going to impose motivation for an alternative uh, economic and sort of power generating system. So it's the longevity of this uh, purely democratic ethical capitalism society is, I don't think it can last very long. Because we're, people will vote it out of government for their own personal interests. I think well, we're saying it's a moot point whether the government can be formed. So what I'm suggesting is that, okay, my hypothetical scenario is that we have such a, we've had a, such a close call with climate change and with pollution in the planet that people have unanimously or largely decided we need ethical capitalism. We need capitalism that works for us. And if that doesn't work, then it goes, then we go into socialism. And so companies and firms are going to be motivated to push for ethical capitalism because they hate socialism, let's be real. Um, it's a terrible form of government. And, <coughs> and so they are, and in this case, you can manipulate companies lobbying 
for positive and they can be pushing for ethical capitalism and people will be incentivized to ethical capitalism because they don't like dying and they don't like being burnt off the face of the planet. However, ethical capitalism, it is ethical, but it's also bad if you're poor. It makes everything more expensive because, like, however bad whatever capitalism is, mm. it does make things cheap. That's true. That's ethical true. capitalism, if you have to spend much more on materials that don't destroy the planet, on different fuel on different designs that are better for the planet if you're poor that's not good for you your standard of life goes down that's true i think that's a short one thing so in the long yeah, short run she'll kill all the poor people <laughs> and then no poor people in they the, don't have the, bad lives in the long but i mean everything you can say so in the long run over years over tens of years and that's a tough tens of years not but i think over tens of years as we treat the environment better, as we treat the country better, income inequality is reduced because people are not, you know, Will, you would quite happily say that capitalism often feeds off of the poor and makes the rich richer. If you've got ethical capitalism, maybe in some way we can limit the increasing richness of the rich and limit the increasing poverty of the poor and reconcile the two. Okay, you can have ethical capitalism funding education you can have ethical capitalism funding retraining you can have ethical capitalism funding trips for inner city kids to go to the countryside or to go to a different country the issue i'd have there is who's doing the funding because to get the market to fund something like that which is almost in many only very very tangentially related to their interests say retraining because they don't want to spend money retraining people who may want to go and work at different firms and are we, as we have seen in the past, companies don't often retrain. It is easier to get younger workers who they can pay less for the same work and who are younger so they learn easier. I mean, I there mean, is, it's quite difficult to get incentives like this without directly having a government intervention, which I think is where this all just stems from. You just yeah. end up with a massive government. And, so you might as well nationalise. And so I quote my one piece of evidence is that the Harvard Business School did a clear study which showed that ethical firms in the long run outperform unethical firms. But that doesn't matter because firms don't matter. Individuals matter. If someone makes an X amount of money off a firm and that firm crashes after the oil industry goes bust, they've made X amount of money. They can jump ship. The firm is irrelevant. Well, we, you, no, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. So the economy as a whole sees it in its interest to go ethical. Okay, This is a moving trend in capitalism big businesses see that it is worth being ethical because it is in their long-term interest. They can out-survive the smaller guy. This is why you've got BP, um, for instance, and Shell going into green energy actually quite heavily. Beyond the PR, they're genuinely investing in it quite heavily because they know it's in their interest to go ethical now rather than later. If you can replicate that after a near disaster and ingrain it into an economic system, these markets are going to do those things anyway because they see it as in their long-term interests. Well, that's it's an interesting idea, Theo. It seems almost as unlikely as Max's AI overlord, but, <laughs> but, but thanks for your contribution. <laughs> thanks for your contribution. Okay, great hosting. What's your great idea then? Peter? My great idea. Oh no, no, you got to hear Will's first. You got to I feel like we come back to that. Host. Theo, you can you you choose. You you. No, no, you're. I'm not. You're hosting. You went last. You can choose who goes next. Yeah, Will. Okay. Well, my idea, and I'm gonna say. This is the purest form of democracy you can get. You basically democratise everything. This is... Okay, and I'm going to make this clear. There are some limits here. This is not something that would ever stand up to any outside military intervention ever. So you would have to create... This would be something that you end up with the world does 
after everyone is roughly united. Can so we well, back okay. up to democratise everything? So a direct democracy. So you vote on every issue? Sort of. Much more decentralised than it is currently. And this is the big thing that I would say would be the main difference is I think you can still have a somewhat market economy. However, you don't have businesses, you have cooperatives. This is where if the business makes money and makes well, or does good for the society, the workers directly benefit in a way that they democratically decide amongst themselves. Because that's the thing, businesses are fundamentally dictatorships. That's how, that's how they work. Um, unless you count shareholders as sort of an oligarch system in a, within a business. Only you would say that businesses are possibly run by oligarchs. Businesses... <laughs> Come on, have a bit of perspective. No, but as in, if you imagine a business is controlled by how many people? How many shareholders does the average large business have? A lot. How many people are those beholden like, to? A lot. They generally have like thousands of shareholders. Actual signi- and then actual hundred thousand workers. Yeah, okay. So you've got activist investors, I suppose, yeah. who who do hold businesses to account. I mean, how many people are on the board though? Like ten? Yeah, five, yeah okay. five, ten, and how many workers? Thousands, hundreds of thousands in some cases. And those workers do not get a say in what is going on. So if you this is this is where a, the political side of it comes out quite heavily and you sort of somewhat um make the hierarchy much more voluntary it is voted on it is elected you can elect who you want your managers to be they are beholden to the workers and they work for the workers as well as helping the workers and this leads to a system hopefully where everyone just votes voting in their own interest actually does vote in everyone's interest because they as a whole can vote in increasingly higher levels from the lowest level of this is your shop to then this is your chain or whatever although i don't think those would exist in this system i can't imagine getting larger scale than that because humans don't do democracy all that well in a large scale we get very caught up in tribalism but on a small scale when you when everyone involved understands every issue they're facing people are relatively good at it it's what we have evolved to do make decisions in small groups so i think by building using that fundamental sort of maybe 10 to 100 people as like the base size of democracy and expanding upwards from there is probably one of the more stable ways you could do it. So, I mean, so are you saying that, for instance, in this podcast, we vote on every decision that was made? You wouldn't have to vote on every decision, but it was done by consensus. It's not like, okay, no, are we going? To, am I going to sit here? We're going to vote on that. I'm not saying you vote on every little thing. You use common sense. But we're relatively, in small groups, we're relatively good at making decisions by consensus without having to vote on every little well, thing. Yeah, because otherwise the group breaks down. Exactly. What about intra-group decisions? That, that's where it gets more complicated, and that's where a, sort of a parliamentary system treats things differently, where every group votes for sort of one person who sort of represents them. But that goes from a jump of how many people are in your local areas and how many people are in the country. There's, what, a few hundred thousand hit? I don't know. There's 250,000 people. But that's split up into a few, isn't it? Yes. I don't, so say 250,000 people, and suddenly they're sending one representative to 70 million people. It's a very, very, it's a big jump and it's something where each little area, I think, you need to do it slightly more gradually. You have to have a few more layers before you reach the top, otherwise you end up with the top not understanding the bottom. But, no, you're more likely to have the top not understanding the bottom if you have all these layers in the middle, because then you can just get garbled messages making their way up. There's more room for graft and corruption in all those layers than between your MP and your ward councillors. But the difference is the MP doesn't understand the ward councillors particularly as well as someone who just is a step above them would. 
if you're if if you live in a local area and you and then say a group small group controls um, this local area and a small group controls this and then you oversee them both and you've been elected by both you can understand both quite well and then when you go it's reducing the difference between each step up so you don't have this monumental gap where you go from 250,000 people to 70 million which is such a big difference which is why we have lobbyists because MPs can't be expected to know everything about everything and particularly about even their local areas often they don't live there so Will you're suggesting that we so like there are people who are and I wouldn't say our country has been led by any of them recently there are people in this world who are naturally great leaders and you're saying that we invest no power in them like they just do what everyone else says to do because people at the top of the chain often have a gift for seeing things much better than people at the bottom. People at the top of the chain can fit in foreign affairs and military military relationships and economic crises together. People at the bottom can't do that. As you say, we're not expected to know about those things. So are you saying that we strip the people at the top away and then give the people at the bottom the right I'm to I'm not saying we strip the top away, but I'm saying we invest the bottom with a lot more power than it currently Well, has. the last time we did that, we ended up with a 52% vote to leave the EU, and that's not worked out so well since. But how many of those people voted because they are, feel like their government doesn't treat them right? How many of those people voted because they're getting their welfare cut, they're getting their public services cut? They feel like the elite in London, for whatever reason, legitimate or not, doesn't treat them how they... doesn't really speak for them. And I think you can pin that on the flaws of recent parties in power. I don't think that's a overall cause of democracies everywhere. Democracies largely are struggling with that issue... But there are exceptions which show that actually these aren't inherent problems that need to be overcome. Whereas I would say they are inherent. If, if you have a small number of people leading, you get a ruling elite. And that's almost what just seems to happen. If, if you th- think of how many people are in your government, how many of them are businessmen? How many of them are linked to very, very rich um, individuals or companies or large shareholder groups or lobbyists? It's all this very tight circle, and I think for a lot of people, they feel like they can't. It's very, very difficult to break into. But those that. people are often very good at their job, like very good. I mean, really good at making decisions and leading. And like if you're an exemplary individual in this system, you will be voted up and up and up because your vote, your group will go. Okay, he's the uh, best. How many us. years did it take you to get to the top? How many years of youth and vi- like vitality has been lost while you claw your way up this intricate political system? How do you expect people to understand? subtleties there and seems like a lot of bureaucracy yeah and you're saying that people represent you people vote for their co- these communes vote for people <laughs> represent them right and then they go up in like another tier of the higher of like the party hierarchy until and, and if they and if they annoy enough like if they, they, if they try and shake things up and then so say it's part of the um the theorist party okay so um like max wants to be at the top of the theorist party but he irritates like me, the founder of the party, and so I can I can quite easily block him from becoming an MP. Why Whereas, could you do that? I don't know. Maybe he's he irritated me. Of... Maybe he wants to shake up the status quo. Maybe yeah. I don't agree with everything he believes in. All it takes is for me to manipulate a few members, and he's not getting voted up any further. And also, um, if you have lots of little groups electing people, those little groups are very likely to elect the same person over and over again just because it's tradition you see in lots of areas particularly where there are old people they just elect the same person to parliament over and over again what's to stop that happening what makes this system where you could argue that that is more likely to happen any better than the system we currently have 
where you have large groups of people, a large group of people is more likely to have more diverse opinions, so more likely to elect different people on a consecutive election than they were in the last one. Well, a large group of people has a lot of diverse opinions, which is where the media influencing people and mucking with people's opinions becomes very, very into play, and that's what we see in general elections and somewhat. But also what I think about this is that when we look at, say, I think it was the 2015 election was something like the least representative in UK history. I'm remembering this from the CGP Gravy, so I'm a bit hazy on the details, but when you have this kind of system, you eliminate the inherent issues of the parliamentary democracy, where you very often either have to make a choice between stability or actual representation. And I think this is one, for me, this is a system where I could see that you sort of uniting these two things. However, I am going to point out the major flaw in this system, and this is, I do not think this system could ever hold up militarily against another system. I'm going to say it right now, I don't think it's possible. That, that's that not really the major flaw in the system, because the UK is not frequently at war with other countries. However, can I argue that one of the primary purposes of a government is to provide a strong front against foreign intervention? So, in this system, if we are, if we are this, I don't know, some... I'm not going to say... Basically, yes, if we are this kind of their kind of direct democracy, and then, I don't know, America, right, led by one guy, all-powerful, they could be like, oh, they don't really have any power. Then, like, because, what is it? You have, in a war, not everyone is always supporting the war. In your system, you have that 40% having a massive impact on the war effort, which would already be hard with people voting for individual issues. What I'd say with a war is, if it's a war, say, in Iraq or Syria, where we're going to go into somewhere, people are often against that for very good reasons in many many cases. But if your nation is attacked, you are generally, the nation is going to be fairly supportive of defending itself. That is something that nations as a whole generally do. But, I mean, and I don't like doing this, but I'm going to defend David Cameron here, but he correctly spotted that British, inter- British or, and French intervention with airstrikes in Syria and Iraq could and has helped defeat ISIS. Popular opinion at the time was in favour of neither of those things. Had we been given the choice, we probably would have voted against it, and so ISIS would have taken significantly more power and time and casualties to defeat. And so are you saying that every single issue of complexity and significance is thrown to the electorate who are often just focused on like the day-to-day lives and families and children and going to clubs and work and school. And also, further along Theo's point of conflict, World War Two, the people's opinion of going, or people's, uh, in Britain's opinion of do we want to intervene or not, was pretty divided. Neville Chamberlain, one of the reasons why he was elected is because he promised not to go to war. Even in... Even in World War One, Woodrow Wilson, primary reason he was elected was to not get involved in World War One. I. I mean, he ended up, you know, getting involved in World War One, which is good, good for us. Both both times, intervention in those World War One and World War Two led to the best outlook. I'm doing that in no, no, the best outcome. <laughs> oh God! Oh, oh no! God. Okay, uh, <sighs> from that what Max just said, he said that us winning the war was quote-unquote the best outcome, so I, Max I was, is a closet fascist, I think that's what we're getting no, from this I was episode. saying, like, you know, but you know, the victors always think it's the best outcome, however I will argue definitely is Hitler, Nazis bad. Um, but your authoritarian disclaimer. <laughs> if Hitler was a perfect AI he would be good. Oh god, I've really lost where I was going there. Um, oh basically, yeah public opinion, public opinion is different to the best outcome in conflict and foreign intervention. 
more feel saying reinforcing that and imagine that point was made really well and concisely and well, I didn't defend Hitler well I'm <laughs> still not sure how this isn't just a parliamentary democracy so each commune of X number of people votes for someone and then that person goes and represents them right but not everyone in each commune would vote for the same person unanimously no is it like a first past the post system no okay right I can be clear on the voting system here it's single transfer oh, yeah, we have a sensible that voting thought, system that's what we've all been asking what's the voting system say, that can still mean that 49% of people don't support someone and he is still made to represent them that's yeah, an inherently 50, democratic but 50, problem but 50, 51% of people do support but, him or her we are very open to gender equality in the political you know what sphere. I mean you can't say this is proper democracy if it's not representing no, but Will, Will is right. That's an inherent political yeah, problem. This, is a, this is, is a why, problem with democracy, not a problem with my system which is in why particular. You come to my solution oh, to the perfect political perfect political system <laughs> of full direct democracy. Every single voting citizen has an in, has like an eye watch, right? Has um ha, has a smartwatch on their wrist and I don't know, four times a week or something a vote pops up and says, should we give oat farmers subsidies because of Chinese subsidies? Of so it's like oats? that old Wii channel where you'd vote on things and it would tell you what everyone else who owned a Wii thought. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can't issue. see an issue with this. Every, okay, and, every yeah, household because... gets a Wii, right? <laughs> and, each, and like a couple times a week you vote on the Wii on like political issues of the day. However, I mean, there are some caveats to this. Um, it would require an educated populace and a populace that actually reads up on the issues. So it's already not going to happen and this is all practical in any way. Uh, the perfect political system. No, I mean, let's say that everyone has attained a high level of education. I mean, that, like, okay, fine. Everyone is interested or feels it's their civic duty to read up on issues and maybe I mean, they, you don't have to have an incredibly informed populace um, but then they vote and this will do away with major political parties this will do away with underrepresentation of groups and overrepresentation of others this will do away with corruption because it's hard to bribe 30 million people true true I can see almost no flaws with it um, I can see, I can see many flaws of this. I can see one major, major flaw is who do you get to decide, or who gets to decide what you vote on? Um, you have change.org. You a petition can be started, <laughs> oh and if it gets enough signatures, it gets taken to the floor because there will still be a government of sorts. There will be a of government sorts. that debates laws, that introduces laws, and then puts the laws to the people. So there's still influential people in politics who can try and convince people to vote a certain way. Are you going to give 70-year-olds an Apple Watch? Uh, it's a Wii now. You're going to... That's even worse. You're going to try and get a 70-year-old to sit in their living room. Where's, where's it pointing? Where's the pointing? Actually, yeah, that's the point. Can we have... It has to be done by motion control. Can we make that... <laughs> yeah, okay. if you can't... If you're unable to operate a Nintendo Wii, then I don't think... What if you're blind? <laughs> I mean, I suppose that how using yeah. a Wii does defeat the whole how you get it to all these people because isn't it like one of the best selling consoles and, of all time? And no, but also it's it's um what market capture, state capture, or but could base ah state capture, nationalized game consoles. Yeah, nationalized and <laughs> like Nintendo are going to do like they're selling six, 70 okay, million. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a Wii. Some form of voting, uh. which every citizen has, 
and every citizen can vote. Right. Um, they can also any citizen can suggest a bill, which if it gets enough signatures will be debated, and will or if it, like and if it gets enough enough signatures, it will just be put to the vote. Okay. Um, the perfect result won't happen all the time, but if you look at like the House of Commons, they never make the perfect choice anyway, like ever. <laughs> But what if you get a thing of national emergency, like, should we invade Iraq? Sh- or should we, not, not, not airstrike, should we invade Iraq? Should we invade... Well, go back to 2004, Iran? when was it, when we actually did? 2003. And, and 2003, and put that to the people. <coughs> Do we put that direct decision to the people? I would say yes. I mean, that's a case of uh, technically a national emergency, because we are a NATO member, and so we've been called upon to defend America if- by invading Iraq. Well, no, that was actually... So, in Afghanistan, we've been called upon... To invade Afghanistan in 2001, this is a state of national emergency. That was a law that's already passed, and we followed the law. Yeah, but like, say, say it happened again. Say, say happened a NATO again. member has been attacked again by mm. something other than Russia. Okay, and we well, have. Why we, not just say Russian? Because then that's just like that's just that opens up a whole other Pandora's box of. Okay, Mexico invades America. Right? Mexico invades America. <laughs> national decision: Do we invade uh, Mexico? Because that's already an established law. We follow through with it, and we. Oh, I see. So okay, fine. Um. We've been blown up by terrorists operating from, hmm, Pakistan. Do we invade Pakistan? The vote is made. If the vote passes, then yes. But you're, So you're entrusting 70 million people with no military or high-level intelligence of situation on the ground in Pakistan with the lives of thousands of soldiers. And the Pakistani people. Who yes. Know. This is why educated population... The, well, they, they can't access MI5 state secrets. The Prime Minister can. You make a good point. Maybe I change my opinion. On but the thing is, with certain state secrets, we all know how sometimes um, the high levels can be tricked um, by the media. So you have to be very, very careful what information you put across, which makes it very difficult. Because I don't think in this system you're so beholden to what people are told, even more so than in any other democracy. You have to be really careful where people get their news from. Because if it's a private source, profit. So they'll do what's in their best interest. If it's a national, like a government source... They're going to act in their own best interests. So I think you have to be very, very careful in setting up a very, very transparent media. I think I think high license fee for the BBC. My would help. Uh, okay, <laughs> I've changed my perfect political system. How have you? <laughs> All domestic matters are dealt with by direct democracy. International matters, relations, war, diplomacy—that is probably best left to people who've dedicated their lives to understanding it and who know what MI5 thinks. I'm going to say the fundamental issue here, which is why this could never happen, and simply as a computer scientist, the idea of voting in any other way aside from pen and paper and then it being counted by individuals is terrifying. There is no, and I just cannot make this more clear, there is no good way of voting that does not involve pen and paper and people counting Estonia it. Estonia have done it quite well. What but about the it, Wii channel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, okay, it's fine then, it's fine. No, but on your seriousness, electronic voting is a fundamentally a terrible idea, and if you're, say, should we go, I, I know you said we're not going to make foreign policy decisions, but say, say in maybe a situation hypothetically you were, should we go to war against Russia? Russia now has the biggest incentive on earth to hack this. And we already know they have hacked various things. And a system like this would be incredibly vulnerable to particularly state actors like that. Man, I, that's a good point. And I just don't think really it's possible. can't really have people going down to the voting thing a couple times a week. But that is my idea. It is the best idea. 
Um, I don't think I think this is the first time where everyone's idea has been terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I like my idea. I mean, mine, I like was, my idea. mine was fairly good. Like, like, okay, let's just go around. Everyone has to say which one, which world they would lo- most like to live in, not counting their own. Oh, Mash, you went first. Uh, how? Wait, so Theo's. Oh yeah, Theo's ethical democracy. Ethical, ethical capitalism democracy. I am direct, direct democracy, and you are. Um, pure, pure democracy. Just democracy with more steps. But uh, I'm gonna go with but democracy of the economy as well. Okay, yeah. and it's no. important. You no, know, you can't just throw that in. That's the my, what I started in my premise with. My privatization of businesses. All okay. powerful, all knowing AI robot tech. Yeah, so, uh, I'm gonna say Theos. Theo. Because it's the most similar to what it is at the moment, and they suck. <laughs> <laughs> I will probably say Will's because I don't like Peter. <laughs> I might say Max's because no, don't do that. I, honestly, I like the idea of not having to think for myself. <laughs> <laughs> mm, um, uh, no, probably, probably Theo's. Oh, oh, but then probably no. We're uh, we've broken Peter. <laughs> our ideas were so good that Peter yeah, is so unable good, to okay. decide. I'm gonna say Theo's. Um, I'm currently because I like Theo's. I think Theo's is a good idea. Well, actually, they're all too utopian. That's that's why I think we've we've fundamentally run into a problem where so much has to go right in any of these systems, otherwise it all comes crashing down. So I'm probably in that case gonna say maxes, because if it does go right, then it's perfect. I, I win <laughs> Theo wins. Once again, Theo, you win the opinion contest. Yes, Good I job. Do. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening. Uh, we enjoyed making this. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. We're gonna plug some ways of contacting us. With Theo. I am so tired. Okay, you can either follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are active and you can just drop us a message and we'll reply. And that is at podcast poorly on both. Uh, and you can email us at discussion at gmail.com. Please do get in touch. So you may have seen we started our slightly more informed series. I covered Brexit last week. Um, both Will and Peter have got stuff in the works they may or may not do. Um, but if there are, these are, this is a place where we can talk about more relevant issues to you. So if there's something you really want to know about or learn about, let us know through those channels. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs> I am so tired.